This is Something to Carp About, the podcast that brings Carpinteria California to you. I'm your host, Dennis Mitchell, and together we'll explore the town's attractions and issues. We're back after a brief break with a show I've been wanting to do ever since I started the podcast. The Palms Hotel on Linden Avenue first opened for business 110 years ago after another hotel of the same location burned to the ground in 1894. It became the town's primary meeting place for locals and stayed that way for decades to come, and over time the bar and restaurant inside the Palms became the stuff of legend. Even after I arrived at the South Coast in 2015, you could still cook your own steak there, and the place stayed open later than any other business in Carp. For the first segment, I contacted a few longtime locals to ask them about their Palms memories, starting with my friend Janet Austin. She is a learning coach who helps children for Santa Barbara Creative Education. Janet, how far back do you go with the Palms? When was your first visit, if you can remember, and how long were you hanging out there before it closed? Well, my mom moved to Carpinteria about 35 years ago, and uh, the kids, my sister's kids, really liked going there as youngsters. I remember it more in my 40s, I'm going to say, but uh, the kids really liked it. They were about... I'm going to say six and eight Mm -hmm. at the time my mom, their grandmother, moved to Carpinteria. And they just loved going there because they got to cook their own steak. And my my mom, their grandmother, would, you know, show them how to flip the meat and do all that stuff and it was quite a a family thing you know that's that's what I remember most about the palms that's pretty cool in the memories that I keep hearing a lot of adult stuff mostly so that's kind of refreshing to hear you don't hear a lot of stories about people taking their kids there except maybe for lunch or on a weekend during the beach or anything what do you miss the most since it's been closed oh well uh, it's my mother again my mother loved the palms so she would go there on a sunday and she'd say oh it's like a resource center you can find anybody to do any job at the palms wow (laughs) so you know you would go oh hey i need somebody to you know rake some leaves or paint a, a a room or something like that and uh you could always find that person right there at the Palms. Some kind of way. Somebody knew somebody. Hey, I know a guy. So it was like a resource center. I think that's what I miss. It's It was more community-like. Yeah, yeah. And uh, very close. Everybody knew everybody there. It was like a little small town. A little gathering place yeah. uh, where you could get a job. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, well, we're here to talk about the memories and uh, long evenings people spent there. Uh, I I did a lot of lunch dates there, actually, kind of new to the game, only been here five or six years, but I did did get the feel and ambience of taking friends to lunch there when they would come to town and I lived in Santa Barbara. So share a couple of those memories with us. Does anything stand out? Well, I have to say, again, my mom, it was one of her favorite places, and she was like the master chef, so... She would hang out, literally. Okay, and my mom's like 95 now, so this is only going back a few years. She would hang out at the grill and talk to people and teach them how to cook their steaks, where you put it on the grill, what seasonings do you use? And she would stay, we'd go, where is she? Oh, she's up at the grill. <laughs> and she would hang out like that was her area. And she was a master chef. So, you know, things like that where you go, oh, I met some interesting people at the grill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and nobody paid her to do this. This is just what, oh, what she felt she had to do. Right. And it just, she was part of the Palms, you know, okay. fascination, the whole Palms thing, you know. Uh-huh. She was part of it always, going back 35, 40 years. You worked there for a time, didn't you? Yeah, I worked there for a couple of years doing a Sunday bar, you know, just for a little extra cash being in the radio business, you know, and in the teaching business later, you know, you know, got to make that extra money, (laughs) side hustle. So yeah, I knew Bill Bennett and Todd Bennett. So, um, and because of my mom going in there all the time, uh, 
She says, they've got a job. They've got a job over there. You need to go over there. So I went over and uh, they hired me and I worked there for a couple of years. Okay. Well, now from that side of the fence, any weird memories? Oh, Anything yeah. that really stands out? Or was it just oh, yeah, like all but, the time? <laughs> is this a, a family show? Because <laughs> let me tell you. It's yeah. the internet. Go crazy. <laughs> okay. Well, I could probably tell you one. They were pretty... You know, you go into the bathroom sometimes and you're like, oh, <laughs> there's four feet and they're facing each other. <laughs> oh, 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 that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> now, was that commonplace? Was that all the time? Or, you know? It's just one of the things that may have happened in the evening hours, <laughs> late at night. <laughs> The Palms is in transition, as we all know. Uh, new things are coming down the pike one way or the other. If they could only save three things from the old Palms, what would you want them to be? The salad bar, the grill, and the bands, the entertainment, and the dance floor area. No sure. question about it, hey? No question. All right. Yeah. All right. The dance floor was one of the best dance floors in the area. It was like the right surface. And, you know, when you want to cut a rug, you need the right surface. <laughs> yes, yes. And I imagine uh, one of the bigger problems you would have is it was packed some nights. But the bands that they would get, you could just kind of like, everybody would just kind of like be dancing with each other. Yeah. There weren't like, you know, any awkward spaces. It felt <laughs> like it was all closed in and fun. Yeah, I just remember the, the dancing and the bands. They were really good. All right. Really good, solid entertainment there every weekend. Melinda Bai has been a past guest on the podcast as the publisher of Cannabis by the Sea magazine. She is a lifelong Carpenterian who spent many an evening at the legendary Palms Hotel. Melinda, let's start with the same question I've asked everybody on this deal. How far back do you go with the Palms? When did you start? How long did you hang out there? Uh, um, well, I was born in Carpinteria. Uh, we were not allowed to go to the Palms <laughs> as a family even. <laughs> that far back. That far back, yeah. Hey, wait a minute. Now I'm uh, just a fledgling. Uh, the Palms, when I grew up, was not the entire corner. It was Estelle's was on the corner of 7th and Linden. Estelle's was a salon, mm -hmm. if you could call it. <laughs> That's where I had my first perm. <laughs> cried the whole time. Um, and then the Palms was a sliver in between... Stells and I don't know what was next door. And it was no windows. So it was your atypical drinking bar with no windows. So it was a bar, primarily. Well, it was predominantly a bar. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would say most locals' families especially didn't go because it was, you had to go through the bar to get to if there was any food. So mm -hmm. again, we didn't go. My dad didn't really think it was a place for us to go as a family. So we'd go to Joe's <laughs> all the way to Santa Barbara. Anyway, so I didn't go really to the Palms until. Yeah, I was probably 16, 17. Mm -hmm. They expanded. I don't know when they expanded it and, and it took over the stills. But then the bar was where it is now, of course. And then they had you know the restaurant enlarged quite a bit. So it was it was much more family friendly. When did you cook your first steak there? <laughs> uh, I I don't know how young I was. I know that my dad probably said here. You know, I was 16 or 17, probably said, Harry, what, what do you want? You know, mm -hmm. like, well, chicken. okay, let me cook it. You know, and it was fun. It was, it was, um, yeah, I, I grew up, my Aunt Dorothy and we learned, they didn't have the fried stuff they have now. They didn't have any hors d'oeuvres at all. Mm -hmm. So the hors d'oeuvres were the croutons, which of course everybody I'm sure has talked about. Uh, more than a few people. Yeah, yeah the yes. croutons, which are, I don't even want to know. If you put one of those on a napkin, how much comes out of them, oil-wise? <laughs> they're so, but they're so good. Yeah. And my aunt Dorothy used to just take a bowl of them and put them on the table, and I got in trouble when I was like in my twenties because I kept doing that. Yeah. And Todd comes over and goes, um, "Linda's aren't our d'oeuvres." I'm like, "Well, Dorothy does it. <laughs> That's all I knew." Anyway. So, uh, uh, yeah. Okay. What do you miss the most about the Palms now that it's been gone a couple of years? Uh, you know what? I'm one of those people. I used to love to sit in the corner of the front. There was an area. Well, it's still there, obviously. But there's, so you go in the front door to the right. There was a dining, kind of waiting area. Mm -hmm. It was you know you're drinking and you're waiting for your table or you were whatever. I used to love to sit in the corner of that and just watch people in the bar. I mean, it was just 
it was funny. Yeah. Yeah, it was entertaining, and it was I couldn't. It was too loud for me personally to be in the bar and the dance. Well, because the dance floor and the bar, one and the same, basically. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a uniquely carp experience over in the corner there. Oh yeah, yeah, it was. (laughs) You could kind of hide, you know, but still, yeah. Oh well, let's follow it up with the next question then. Special memories, any particular night or weirdness or happiness or anything you remember <laughs> so that many. comes to mind. Well, 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 pick, well pick a few no, if you pick can. Pick a few. Like, well, the highlights were you know we spent all kinds of birthdays, uh, all kinds of birthdays. My mom always wanted to go to the Palms for a birthday, and so went to the Palms. We had wakes there. My mom's, my grandmother's, just kind of ended up there. Um, Ironed my white trash badge, as I like to say, in the bar. I'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> but it was, that was always kind of the, what do we do? Let's oh, go the bombs, you know, and you pour yourself in there, literally. Um, but no, I, and you'd always run into somebody. And I, I remember when it kind of ended for me personally, I was went in there with a friend of mine and she looked around and she goes, who the hell are all these people? Oh, yeah. Cause I didn't know anybody. I've heard that from a couple folks too. Yeah, that um, like, as know, carp got more popular, you know. Yeah, and you know, you know, begrudge people for experiencing a place, but all of a sudden you're like, oh, I don't know anybody anymore. Well, in particular, the steak cooking thing. Oh yeah. Uh, one of the guests has said that uh, man, they were just a real problem. The tourists. Well, the locals, <laughs> locals kind of learned. I, I shouldn't say I'm not speaking for all locals, but I know like my brother and our friends. We never went during the summertime mm-hmm. because that's when the tourists went, and you're like, could you? St- Stop poking at your steak. Exactly. You're standing there for 15 minutes poking this thing. There's be nothing left of it, you know? <laughs> and it was like, you'd come over and you kind of get sassy and you're like, excuse me, and you like flip it over and you walk away with purpose, you know? So they like, this is how you do it, asshole. <laughs> you, know? you don't stand there. And then there was the whole thing about toasting bread. Like you, you always tell your locals were because you'd get a handful of bread, slather it with butter, throw it on the grill for about two seconds and then it would that would be kind of your one of your hors d'oeuvres as well mm-hmm. you have to pay for it yeah you know extra for it but then as i got older too there was the tourists but then there was also i went it kind of had this epiphany where oh there's a bag of bread in a warmer and 75 people have been sticking their hands in it all night and i was <laughs> yeah, like yeah there's I, that i think i'm gonna skip the bread from now on <laughs> but anyway it was <laughs> Never any repercussions from it. It was just one of those things everybody did. Well, I think yeah. there's a reason that uh, down near the end, the end years, there wasn't cooking your own steak. I mean, that's kind yeah. of a health department issue. I anymore. would imagine what well, people standing over it. Yeah, right. You can't have. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and a few places around the country. I know of one in Hawaii that's been there for for quite some time. I remember that place, but it's too. pretty rare. Yeah. in general, you know. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's 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 wonderful theory, and I think it works great if you're in a small town and you're really not going to get tourists at all to kind of ruin the experience. I hate to say that, but I think people, and I don't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't really really get it to tourists. I think if if you're in, you're part of a restaurant, you're part of an experience like that, and everybody knows the rules even though they're not written. You know, I know, I go up there, I don't touch anybody else's food, I turn my stick over, I walk away. Yeah. You know, yeah. and everybody knew that. You didn't. You didn't have to tell it. There was nothing written down. In fact, we used to get the biggest kick out of taking somebody from out of town to the Palms. Mm-hmm. And here's the menu. Well, the menu was the placemat. Okay. And, you know, oh, I have the T-bone. Oh, no problem. Yeah. And so the waitress come over, here's T-bone, and it's a raw-ass piece of T-bone. <laughs> and they'd look at us like, what, what just happened? And we're like, a bon appetit. <laughs> you know? like, You're on your own. <laughs> and I, I loved it when people would say, well, I, I don't like the steaks at the Palms. I said, well, then you screwed up. That's right. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. you can't blame anybody else. What, you don't like the cow? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they could only keep three things from the old Palms when the new Palms emerges, what would those three things be? The croutons, number one. All right. They should just bag those things. Mm-hmm. Um, healthy drinks. Mm-hmm. Don't be stingy, and they were by no means stingy mm-hmm. with the drinks. Mm-hmm. Rivaling Joe's legendary strong drinks. I've been to all three. The three strongest in in the county, Harry's, probably number one. Mm-hmm. And I think Joe's and the Palms are tied. Okay. But Harry's number one. I hate to say it. But you know, I can concur. Half a drink at Harry's, and you're like, sayonara. <laughs> I know. And it's so old-fashioned and uh, almost like The Shining. Yeah. You know, kind of like that bar. <laughs> yeah, you know. the, the Overlook bar. Yeah. yeah. But you got to have the Red Naga hide and all that stuff. I mean, that's... <laughs> the third thing, uh, you know, I don't think the third thing you could really put your hand on. I think it would just be the 
kind of the co- I mean, there's so many memories in that place. You mm-hmm. know? My dad and you know the, the Lions Club guys used to go when they used to meet at the Memorial Building in town. This is years ago. They all there was a group of them that would go to the Palms after it was Thursday nights. And my dad and Walt Johnson and a couple other guys, my uncle Bob Schnagenberg, no, hmm. they did not go. And I've heard the stories that came out of that. And there's a couple of locals, daughters like me, whose fathers gave up those stories as years went by. And it was like, oh, I'm not telling anybody about that. <laughs> you know, and, and it's tough because you're in a small town. You see those people around. It's like, yeah. oh, I know what you did. But it's the Palms. And it kind of, it's like, Palms is like your little Vegas. Whatever sta- what happens exactly. in the Palms stays in the Palms. Yeah. And you get immediately Hopefully. why those stories were kept from you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I know why I didn't go. It wasn't his thing. But they, they used to do that. I don't know if they still do it, but I know there was always a core group that would go from the meeting. Right on over. Right to the palms. Any hopes or expectations for the uh, changeover? I hope they keep the exterior as charming as it is. I mean, that's how it started. You know, it started as a hotel, as the Palms Hotel. Mm-hmm. And I think if, I think capitalizing on that and, you know, maybe embracing the the uh, kitsch, you know, and, and, you know, keeping it kind of a local thing. But yeah, I think there's a, the right person could do it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Keep a little old school element to. Absolutely. The modernization. Yeah. 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 Whatever form it may take. But keep the croutons. (laughs) Thank you, Melinda. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you. Really appreciate it. be doing this podcast if it wasn't for David J. For decades, he's been a fixture in the local broadcasting scene, hosting radio shows and entertaining viewers at the community channel TVSB. He was the very first guest on Something to Carp About, and in gathering material for this Palms episode, I was told by more than one person that David would have a good story or two. David, really good to have you back on the podcast. You were the guest on my very first podcast. Wow, it's amazing. (laughs) It's great to be back. And when it came to a subject like Memories of the Palms, you came right to mind because you've been here so long and I know you hung out there. Tell us first, how far back do you go with the Palms? How long did you hang out there? You know... I've ha- I hung out there for decades, it seems, but I can't remember the first time I came to the Palms. It was before I lived here in Carpinteria and was kind of a regular there, so it must have been it must have been the ni- early 1990s, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, right about when the when the uh, the avocado festival started. The first year of the Avocado Festival, I think I went to the Palms. That'd be late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So um, anyways, uh, and aside from that, I don't really have any memories of the Palms because uh, I was usually drunk and don't really remember it the next day. So what, what was your next question? Now, were you, did you cook your own steak there? I this did. seems to be one of the main attractions. And I was really, really good at it. I was excellent at it, as a matter of fact. And I would bring people there, and I would cook their steak, and they were amazed. Mm-hmm. And then I would see people just murdering their steaks on the grill. And I just had to not say anything. It was so hard. <laughs> to watch. <laughs> well, and it was hard not to say anything is yeah. what it was. Oh. But I, did, I, try, I didn't. But it was, you know, whatever. But I was, I was an, a perfect medium rare excellent. Yeah, everybody keeps coming back to that as one of the main attractions. I, know, I would always, I knew, yeah. and, and, and earlier I would get whatever, I'd get the top sirloin or get the New York or whatever. But eventually I just always got the prime rib. I just oh. didn't mess around with anything else. Just give me the prime rib, baby, and I'm just going to lay it on that grill and Okay. What do you miss the most about the Palms? Well, I don't, you know, I just miss having a place to go where I can uh, see people that I know and that everyone's having a good time, you know, and I miss that sense of community. And there are other places in Carpinteria that people are going to go hang out, but it's not... Hanging out at the Lucky Llama is not the same as hanging out at the Palms or whatever, you know, just singling Lucky Llama. I love them, so I'm not trying to talk trash. Oh, yeah, about them. yeah, Sunburst. There are lots of Yeah, there's a lot, lots of hangouts, places to go. But, yeah. Uh, uh, it's, it's, and then they're great, but they're just not, it's just not the same, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I'm going to ask you to dig deep and try hard and tell me if what you're most special memories of the Palms. Was there one night there that is, was there, crazy? Yeah, was well, that, just tell us. I, okay, well, the one night that I have to single out is being my 
most memorable evening at the Palms uh, was the night that I met my wife there. She, I have the greatest story to tell everybody about how I met my wife. And that was that she picked me up at the Palms. Hmm. That was it. She picked me up at the Palms and it was all over and done with. (laughs) And that's the greatest story for a Carpinteria local. Of course we met at the Palms. Wow. You know, so uh, so I have a lot of great memories of the Palms and a lot of great stories of being there and a lot of great stories of, about the other people there. But really, that's that's the one that I have to single out as being the one that was the most important was the night that I met my wife, Marianne. Okay. Anything you can tell us about that night? Well, no. Uh, well, uh, what was going on that night was um, at the time, I was an evening disc jockey at, uh, let me think, it was KRUZ, 103.3 KRUZ. And I was on till, I don't know, 10 or 11 p.m. I can't remember what time it was exactly, but I had just gotten off work and I was living in La Conchita at the time and the, and the radio station was in Santa Barbara, so I had to go roll th- right through Carpinteria to get home. And I decided to stop at the Palms for just a nightcap before I went home. So, um, I went there and was just hanging out and I just ordered a drink and I was just about to have my drink. And my wife was with a bunch of her friends, a bunch of her female friends. And, uh, she noticed me and, and, uh, she's like thinking to herself, Oh, fresh meat. (laughs) So she moved in and wanted to go. She wanted me to go dance. And I had, I was just barely getting my drink. I'm like, well, do you mind if I have my drink first before we dance? (laughs) So I made her wait for my drink. Uh, and then we danced and we danced and we hung out and we talked and, you know, whatever else. And and uh, it was a lot of fun. So that was what I was doing the night that we met was it was just supposed to be just a little nightcap after a night of work. And uh, it wound up being the rest of my life. That's what I'm saying. You changed your life that We've night. been together. It's just, just over 20 years now that happened. Wow. Congratulations, and that's really fantastic. Yeah, and so that's and, and that's not as far back as I go with the palms. Twenty just with my wife. So there you go. Wow. If they could only keep three things about the old palms when they make the new palms, what would those three things be? I would say the carpet. No, no, no. <laughs> Seriously, no. <laughs> no, the carpet could go, I suppose. Um, if they can keep three things about the palms, well, there's just the people. I mean, there's the whole vibe of them. I mean, you've got to keep hey, that first and foremost is you've got to keep the vibe. And, you know, I know the health code will not allow it now, and it was only allowed because it was kind of grandfathered in. But I dig the whole cook your own steak thing. And there are places where in other parts of the country where they, it's a new thing now where you go and you cook your own steak or whatever. So I don't know what they'd have to do to make it a cook your own steak place again. But I dig that. Yeah, I just dig that. And, of course, the third thing is you'd have to keep the bar. You'd have to keep it a good quality bar. Because the Palms is important as a restaurant, but it is equally as important as a bar. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean the place to go get liquored up at. I just mean a place to go sit, hang out, and talk with your friends. Exactly, exactly right. Uh, do you have any hopes or expectations for the future? Well, for the Palms? Yes. I don't know. I don't know what to expect. I mean, I don't know if they're going to... I mean, they've been talked about they want to do this with that. They want to do that with that. And uh, I guess it kind of seems to be trending to being apartments and maybe a little whatever coffee or restaurant or whatever, down some shops downstairs or whatever. And if that's all they can do with it, that's fine. Um, I would be okay to see a, a, a hotel there and people coming to Carpentry to experience. It would be fun to stay at the Palms. I mean, of course, I would love to see it go back to the Palms, but that's not realistic. So uh, I'm just going to give up on that. Okay. And uh, and live on those memories. Yeah, exactly. What good ones you have. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Well, listen, with. thank you for having me. For our last look back at the Palms Hotel for this episode, I reached out to local musician Trish Remley, Trish the Dish. She is in one of the most popular local music groups in Carp, South on Linden, and was much closer to the Palms than most. Trish, let's start with having you tell us how far back you go with the Palms and how long you hung out there. 
Oh boy. Uh, first time I ever went to the Palms was uh, in the late 80s and I was introduced by some friends who took me there to cook my own steak for the first time. The menu, uh, the price of the steak was still $5.95 for wow. a ribeye dinner with all the fixings. After that, I came to Carpinteria to work and uh, met Todd Bennett, the owner, fell in love with the place and told him, I want to work here one day. And uh, I was actually there for a little over 18 years. Working? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, doing what? Uh, I, I started out as a cocktail server and then worked my way up to being a waitress. I see. So, and did a little bit of bartending every now and then when they had a big event or something. So... Okay. I'm a short timer though. The the person who was there longest waitressing was Wanda uh, Wanda Davis, and she was more affectionately known as Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> How charming! So. It's just all in keeping with everything I hear about the Palms, our little hometown hangout, basically. Um, it's been gone a couple of years now, even more. What do you miss the most? I miss the people the families, the celebrations, you know, that was uh, the hub. <laughs> Sorry, I get a little emotional. <laughs> oh, you're not alone. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, it was uh, some place where if you were looking for somebody in town, you just went there and they, they would call you. I, several times I would be off work and somebody would call me and say, Hey, your your family's in town. Get over here, you know? <laughs> or if you just waited around long enough, that person would show up exactly. that you were looking for. <laughs> yeah, you didn't yeah. have to reach out to them. They yeah. would come to you. Uh, so the people. The people, uh, so many families. Getting to watch the kids grow up and seeing the little kids come in and cook their own stuff. For the families, I mean, it's incredible. There was no place like this. And, um, you know, one day I'm serving kids at Shirley Temple, and the next day they're asking me for a beer, and I'm going, <laughs> what? <laughs> What's going on? That, uh, quite the novelty with the cook-your-own-steak thing. And, and honestly, I only heard about that aspect of the Palms fairly recently. Uh, we came here six or seven years ago, and it was still going, but, you know, it evolved and changed over the years. The only other place I know of in the world where you can cook your own steak is in Hawaii. Oh. <laughs> There's a place there that, that allows that. But uh, quite the novelty. Everybody I've talked to so far brings that up. So it started in, the, I believe, the 50s. Grandma Bennett started the cooking your own steak. This is from what I heard from uh, Bill and Todd Bennett. And, um, you know, they, they used to have campers from the state park come in and every now and then you'd see a hot dog or a tri-tip on that grill. And, uh, you know, they had some pretty interesting stuff going on with the cook your own thing. I see. So if the campers could actually bring their own stuff to cook? No, they weren't supposed oh, to. Oh, I see. But you'd but, see it. Yeah. yeah so right. okay. Bill had told me about that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it was pretty neat. You know, they, you could cook seafood and steaks on the grill. You got a salad, fix-your-own-salad buffet-style service, a baked potato, bread, chili beans, and, you know, the best cocktails in town. <laughs> I'm getting hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were closer to the property than most then, uh, if you worked there for that long. And it might be a tough question, but any special memories that stand out? with some of the families you watched grow up or, or any crazy time that happened there or something. Is there any particular one or two things that stand out? Oh my gosh, there's there's so many, so many memories. Um, you know, one of the biggest ones is uh, whenever uh, there was a bad fire nearby, you know, when the firemen would come in and everybody in the place would stop, stand up and you know, clap, oh. give them love, buy them dinners, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's pretty darn special. Right it was there. really special. Really so is. many moments like that with servicemen and women and, you know, just people giving their heart to each other. You know, you'd go to take an order from somebody at the table and 
you'd have to wait because they're visiting with another table of neighbors. And, you know, uh, Christmas, Christmas is really special because they really decorated up really beautiful. And all the families, large families in Carpentry would come in um, and, and celebrate and, and bring, you know, businesses that had a large business. They would come in and take up the whole back room sometimes or the whole front room and you know, a lot, a lot of, a lot of great memories. Uh, every Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, we had live music, and right. you know that that those were special times. Avocado Festival, the Rods and Roses, you know that was the place. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you you get in there and you have a nice dinner and you finish your dinner and you got free entertainment and. Uh, you know, it was the only place I would stay open late night. Right, right. That's a running theme with everybody <laughs> I talk to as well. And and one thing that you bring out uh, shows me a trait of Carpinteria that has not gone away at all, and that's that now when I go with any particular person to a restaurant or any place it might be, we have to stop five times to talk to everyone exactly. to get there because everyone knows everyone. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, how, how have you been? It's been so long since I saw you or... Or uh, how was that project you were working on? It's like, uh, so that goes back, you know, quite a ways. Definitely. Can I just say I really, truly miss the people that I worked with there, too, because uh, a lot of us were all there very, very long. Um, There's one particular waiter who became a waiter after being a busboy for several years, uh, Cipriano Pais, I believe his... He goes by Pano, <laughs> and he was there over 25 years. I believe I and, met him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh, you know, it, it, before it closed, recently before it closed. Just amazing. There was one more thing. I, I was just thinking back, and I pulled out this one memory. Every now and then, John Palminteri would come in, and there'd be a band playing, and he'd jump up there and sing with them. Is that right? And that was always really fun. Oh, I've got to make sure he hears about that. Yeah, so that was <laughs> that was a, a fun memory. I remember one night he came in, and it was his birthday and another friend of ours' birthday, and she was having a beverage for her birthday, and he came over, and he had a Sharpie pen, and he drew a little a black line on her finger, so she'd put her finger up to her nose and she had the John Palminteri mustache. <laughs> I mean, so many wonderful nights. There's, I could write a book about all the wonderful times there and how many nights I went away just with my heart so full. Yeah, maybe you, you know? should write that book. <laughs> maybe, if it's a bestseller, I could buy the palms. <laughs> Finally. If they could only keep three things in the new version of the Palms, what would you want them to be? Oh, wow. Uh, the way that they served the food before, the same wait staff that we had before, <laughs> especially my my waitress buddies, Jill, and, and uh, gosh, there, there's so many. Uh, Maude, and, and definitely... The, the late night bar and music scene, that, that was special because you could just pop in on a Friday, Saturday night and hear live music and didn't have to pay a cover charge. And, you know, Jill, Joni, uh, some of the other waitresses there, I, I, I'm, it's, I get so emotional thinking about it. Sorry. I, don't, <laughs> I, I understand fully. Uh, it was... That place in Carpinteria, you know, they roll up the sidewalks at nine o'clock, except right there. Except right there. Yeah. You know, and it was it was something just so special, you know, the funky brown carpet and the velvet drapes and the you know, the the bartenders were amazing too. And you know, being there as long as I had been, there there were so many people that I got to work with, Pam, Susie, uh, Wendy, Roxanne, um, Tim, Scotty. You know, these, these guys were like fixtures there. Uh, Kieran, Jessica. Jessica has her own new place now, the Brew and Q. Right. Uh, there is just so many. I, I especially miss seeing Bill and Todd. You know, they, they were owner-operators. That's another thing of the three I'd like to say. It would be nice to see that because any given morning, you could go there and you see those guys cutting steaks, making the 
the ground sirloin patties that were so sought after and you know really running the establishment as true owner operators you'd see Todd outside sweeping the sidewalks you'd see those guys making the menu talking to the vendors doing the orders you know just cleaning the bar they put in the new dance floor themselves all the cabinetry work and tables Todd built those yeah you know, it's just it's just such a one of a kind place where you felt like you were in grandma's kitchen when you went in there. I don't know. No, I get you. Yeah. Totally get you. One thing I'd like to say that I'd love to see them be able to keep is uh the staff, regarding the staff, not only the bartenders, the bus boys were incredible, the cooks and the people who washed the dishes. Those people, they were our family. Every night we'd sit down after work and we'd all sit in the back room and we'd all have steak dinners or whatever together. We would all cook with each other. We spent a lot of time together. They were truly our family. Some of those busboys and dishwashers and cooks lived upstairs. Hector, Pano, Rudy, mm -hmm. uh, Arsenio, uh, 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 Regraciano, uh, Miguelito, um, uh, you know, there, there are so many, uh, I, I can't even get all their names out right now, I'm so tongue-tied, <laughs> but those people were, they were the heart and soul of the Palms, they kept it going. For the people who didn't want to cook, you had Hector and Rudy, and those guys were amazing, Yeah. and uh, I just want to say, you know, if they can have a wait staff like we had, because... We were a big family, and we all worked together for over 10 years plus that I can recall. And, you know, even even the hostesses, Stephanie, Cindy, Jamie, um, so many more over the years that were just incredible people. But it, I think that was the whole key to the Palms was the people that made it work. Okay. You know, you, you felt like a, even when I would go in there for dinner, you felt like you were cared about, you yeah, know? right. And you felt like you were in somebody's family home. Okay. And, and that's what it's all about, so. Uh, when did you leave their employ? Uh, I, my last day there was uh, March 16th, or, or 15th, right when COVID shut down. Of 2020? Yes. Wow. So right up to the end. Right up to the bitter end, so... And, and I want to say one more thing about that. Bill and Todd were so wonderful and generous. Not only did they have the employees come and pick up their last paycheck right there, but they took everything out of the freezers, all the food, gave all the food to the employees. Wow. Uh, they We walked out of there with steaks, with bread, with beans, with dressing, whatever we wanted, salad. We had food to feed oh us my. for over two weeks you know they were just so generous and and they checked on everybody all throughout wow you know and, and they they still reach out and check on you know that that's the heart of it is the way that they showed their love and and i can understand why bill and todd are are you know ready to walk away it's bittersweet for them because they were bus boys when they were about eight years old they yeah. were 10 years old I, I don't know what age but you know their sister Joni worked there too um you know it was a family run restaurant they took it over from mom and dad mom and dad took it over from grandma you just don't see stuff like that you know and it's like if you walked in you're part of the extended family exactly hmm. yeah you know so that that was the the heart of it and I, I just are you following the story about the change of hands are you, are you following with interest, or are you just kind of hoping for the best? Um, I've been trying to keep up with it, and, uh, you know, I'm actually trying to win the lottery so I could buy it myself. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> but, yeah, but I, I understand somebody new has taken it, and, um, you know, they from what I've heard, they want to try to keep the same kind of, uh, you know, uh, ambiance about it so. same vibe yeah, yeah. And I, I really hope that can happen
It's a great small town here. Uh, everybody knows everybody. It's still a friendly place. It's a place you feel safe on the street at night. We probably are one of the last beach towns, original beach towns left in Southern California. The kids we serve, now we're serving their kids. Uh, it just, you know, long many years here, great times. I'm getting a little emotional. <laughs> <laughs> For 40 years, you know, yeah. The name The Palms comes from uh, the hotel that existed here when it was first built. It was built circa 1912 and contained a hotel, post office, and a little restaurant uh, with artesian well-fed rooms. And my grandparents converted the whole place into a restaurant in the late 50s. And uh, my parents worked it in the 80s and 90s, and my brother and I have owned it since. The Palms is many things. It's a family restaurant uh, during the dinner hour. Uh, we serve cocktails during the day. There's a lively day bar. And there's also entertainment at night. Uh, we have live entertainment Thursday through Saturday nights. The bar has, has that kind of cheers effect too, where we have our regulars that are here every day. What I see coming in Carpinteria is a buy-in by a lot of people outside of our community wanting to preserve it. When you look at this particular building and its historical significance and the restaurant and its, its significance to the community, it's a landmark and um, you don't replace landmarks easily. They're, the value in a landmark is that it's a landmark. I believe that this particular town is going to be the last on the coast to hold on to its simple lifestyle. We are all fighting tooth and nail to keep it that way. The person who wants to continue this will, will obviously find great support in this community to do just that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's time for a new generation now and uh, time for somebody to continue on and uh, take it to the next limit. We're really excited to find that person. The Palms Hotel is still owned by brothers Todd and Bill Bennett, and there you have the audio from the people who have listed the property for sale. A deal with one proposed suitor fell through a few months ago, and as of this recording, the property is in escrow with a different buyer. And you can still see Todd and Bill coming and going from the property as they await the final handoff to somebody new. Long live the Palms. This definitely won't be the last time we sit down with the folks who made the hotel the local icon that it is. And now it's time for the Vinyl Say. Let's get the lowdown and the latest on records and record collecting with Kevin Murphy, the proprietor at Murphy's Vinyl Shack at 977 Linden Avenue in Carpinteria. And we find ourselves in my studio this time instead of yours, Kevin Murphy, proprietor of Murphy's Vinyl Shack. Thanks for coming on down. Glad to be here. Nice digs. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we just sat around and listened to a little bit of the Revolver remixes that came out last month. Your impressions, first of all. Oh, I feel like when you hear that, it sounds like you're a kid in a candy shop again. You know, it just it reopens those doors the way you love the album, but opens up to a whole different, you know, chapter as far as your senses go. So beautiful. Yeah. I only got to hear two cuts, but those sounded great. Is there a demand for Blu-rays at your store? I know you sell DVDs, mm -hmm. and a lot of them are music DVDs. Do you do you hear much demand for Blu-ray? Because ever since I've got into this uh, surround setup, I'm looking for those discs because they aren't always easily transferred to a hard drive, and, and the disc is, has the pure separated sound and everything. So I'm wondering if you're hearing this from buyers. Yeah, we do. We, we, we get only get what we can on the Blu-ray DVDs, but that's why people are jumping into that for the sound purposes of it. I think it just offers you a better better quality of sound, whether it be a concert or something along those lines, especially if it's been remastered to that, that level. But yeah, we get that question all the time, but we do quite a lot with both the Blu-ray DVDs and the regular DVDs, but 
there's only so much available on the Blu-ray DVD sometimes. Yeah, that's true. And I was wondering, in proportion to what you get with record buyers who are coming in, you know, mainly for an old-fashioned experience of a vinyl record, uh, you know, audiophiles are involved too here. Oh, yeah, you bet. Yeah, I think but most most of our, our market is towards the LP guy, not the guy doing the Blu-ray DVDs for that, that musical concept, especially with, I think, with the four, you know, with some of the ones that come through. Um, we just don't have that kind of market for that yet. I'm going to come down and pick through. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like uh, the, the, the getting might be good right now. There's a nice pile of them there, and we kind of separate the Blu-rays for that purpose from the regular DVDs because some of the guys just they're, they don't want to go to the regular DVDs. They just want the Blu-ray only. Okay. Remember when they dabbled in this with vinyl with quadraphonic sound? You bet. You bet. The quadradisc and the quadraphonic, and, and, and they were both two different entities because I have the guys who, who want the quadraphonic and when they get the disc, they say it's not the same. I see. It's, it's a different, different kind of a setup as far as the recording goes. So even those guys, they're they're fine tuned about what they want, but you're only locked into. They only made so many pressings of that of the quadraphonic, other quadra discs type stuff, and so you have to really dig, and you're pretty limited to a certain years. How often do you see? Quad discs. I see them come in occasionally. They're mostly in that period of the, um, the you know, where it's Edgar Winter, Frankenstein, Loggins and Messina, a lot of that 70s stuff. Um, these were our, our parents were buying the quadraphonics, and as kids were going up there and blasting them away when they weren't in town. Uh, but uh, that's what you did. And uh, so we occasionally get them in, but it's usually more, um, you know, orchestrated Andre Previn or uh, uh, Zumimeta, stuff like that. And not always a rock and roll, so it's, everybody's looking for the rock and roll, but they want to be more of expanded stuff besides just, you know, some of the stuff that was available in the 70s only. Yeah, yeah, and the thing it all has in common is big. You want big sound, regardless oh. of the genre. Oh, all the way. Yeah. And that was the fun thing about it. Uh, when, when we would get, like I said, Grinner Frankenstein always sticks out because that was the one we would take to my friend's house and, and blast it. And then try to get the system back to what his dad had it with everything low, 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 and low. But it was a great system. But I don't think they took off like they wanted them to. So you had less of uh, records coming out that way. It's kind of visionary in a way. I mean, every they knew what people wanted in being surrounded by their sound. So I thought, well, we'll we'll do. A, they thought, well, let's do a record that comes out of four channels. For me, it was Jeff Beck, Wired. Oh, yeah. That was the first quad album that oh. flipped me completely out. Oh, yeah. Just it, wonderful it, stuff. It was always just tough to have someone who have have the good setup and the speakers in the proper manner where you needed to have them to to take advantage of that quality sound. And most, most, the, most people didn't have that setup. And it was rather expensive to buy into it when you first came in. Right. It? So right. you really had to have the dough for it, and they, they were a little bit more money for those those records, too. In all these years, I have not figured out how they did it. I mean, a stylus has basically two sides to it, so how do you split that into four? I, maybe I don't want to know. That's just it. That's where my pay grade. <laughs> I hit the on switch, and after that, I leave it to its works. <laughs> we are barreling into the holiday season, so what's hot right now at your store? What are people looking for? Well, they're looking for Everything new, hip-hop and everything is still always big. Even Kanye's is always real popular. Um, people, you know, this time of year, people are looking for gifts for not just their f friends and family, but also for themselves. We'll always try to bring a little bit more of the box sets or some of the bigger package Beatles stuff, uh, if we can, like George Harrison's box set and stuff like that, because uh, that's when people will spend that extra money for that. Other than that, they're just looking out whatever's current, whether it's Lana Del Rey stuff or Lizzo or whatever else is in the market. But you see a lot of people now venturing who've gotten their records player and now they're, you know, recapturing, getting Deja Vu by probably Sills Nash or Dookie by Green Day or even Sinatra. They're, they're get, having fun with it now. Okay. So you think people are buying Kanye records because they think his career is over? I think they, <laughs> I think they buy Kanye because they like Kanye. And, you know, I think people always are able to put politics aside. I mean, crazy is kind of crazy, and uh, but you know, his his music does hit a, a a part of a lot of people's life, and they can put all the other stuff that they do off off the side. Yeah, it's always separating the art from the artist. Yeah, they, you can do that. We've done that with many many artists where we're, hey, I like his tunes, I don't like his politics maybe so much, but hey, he's, he's got a great voice. So right, yeah, and right. with the flow. But I think with the kids nowadays, they're open to all kinds of music, whether it be stuff during our generation or, or brand new or just something totally different. 
what about holiday records? I mean, people are coming in looking for Burl Ives and uh, new Christy Mitchells and all that stuff. Or Burl and Gene Osher are moving like they were used to, but you see people kind of, you know, the the Christmas records are almost a, a reminiscent of what what they grew up with. You know, if their dad played music of the bells of you know the cathedral, that's what they buy because it brings back dad. And so, but you also get into adventuring to newer stuff like Eric Clapton had a record out a couple of years ago. Dolly Parton's got one out this year. Chris Isaac's got one out this year. So it's always neat to hear a, a, a traditional song done in a different manner. And some rock and some, some are just fun to listen to. All right. Maybe an awkward question. Is it okay to give used vinyl as a gift? I think people, all depends who the, the buyer is. I think more people like to buy new. New pack because it's it's brand new, and your store does have new. Yeah, records. we do the new stuff. We do what if we can't get the vintage, we get the, the reissue, and then sometimes we just go for the reissue because it's a gift giving thing. People don't want to have someone else's fingerprints on it, and uh, they think maybe you've gone cheapskate when they, you give them a, a used gift, unless they know records and they go, "Hey, you got me the Velvet Underground with Nico." Right on. <laughs> that was <laughs> you must love me. <laughs> right, right. So a used record, it's it, all in context. It of, really is. Yeah. To that to that buyer, someone who's into analog knows how precious a first edition of Jimi Hendrix are you experienced is and how how the, the sound is so much unique than versus a, a remastered. Even though a remastered's great, but you know, and a lot of people want to go both ways and sometimes you just can't find a a well um taking care of vintage uh, Dark Side of the Moon. Right, right. It's funny you bring up the, the Hendrix record. I swear, five days ago, I, I played that loud, uh-huh. and I have an original pressing. And you're right, it's magic. You, know? it, you, you forget, and, uh, and we get them in all the time, and we obviously we can't listen to the remastered all the time because they're brand new, but all of a sudden we'll get the first edition of uh, that, that exact album, and it was like, oh my gosh. And, and someone heard it when I was playing it, and they, they bought it before I even got into the rapping. Yeah. Because it just sounded so good. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of which, uh, just walked away with a nice Rocket to Russia reissue from your store, brand new, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, did my house vibrate. There you go. Mm. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about record storage, or if you ever get hit up about that. Now, you're here in my studio, and you see what I've done. Bought a couple of home and garden, better homes and gardens mm-hmm. uh, uh, racks and had to separate things because I have space considerations. But uh, do you ever hit up with questions about cabinets or what to buy or yeah, what the so, best way to go it's is? It's so hard, you know, because the cabinets have changed structurally so much in the last 10 years because we, we used to all buy these big, huge entertainment centers that went five feet deep into the wall because of the television. And so now we're, we're getting to people who want to get the better storage to access their record. And you have yours perfectly set up you know, standing up and, and, and so you can read them. And, and, and that's the best thing to do is just having that, that kind of condition. And we sell now record boxes so people can have them because people also want to see their records that they want to see the cover revolver or the see the Yeah, there's, there's, there's this down. method where I have them and, and a lot of people store them and then there's flip through. Yeah, a lot yeah. of people do the flip through just for the ones they listen to mostly. It's so so much fun when you have a collection like you have that you have so many that you just maybe take out and give them or take twenty five records out and put them into your hey these are ones I kind of haven't listened to in a long time yeah and 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 it also is art too it's nice to have where you go by and see a Santana Barbalita album with a beautiful blue butterfly on the outside of it and everything sure. so that that's the fun part but it it's easy to it's, you want to have them so you can understand how you have them laid out yeah. And but it, proper storage is, is the, the one main thing that we get a lot of records people who didn't actually put properly store them or they were just not taken care of and not to no fault of their own, they just didn't uh, take care of their records. Yeah, it's more uh, heartbreaking when you see them where they just been by a water heater and it's a great looking record, but it just it's got too much uh, Mother Nature into it now. Yeah, it brings a tear to my eye. It does, and, and especially <laughs> when you see it's a Bob Dylan first issue, you're like, oh no, then you put it on, you go, oh no, I can't even listen to it. So, But but a lot of people get that that, that if they want to listen to their records and take care of them, they, they probably maintain them now, because now it's, it's treated as an antiquity now. Uh, it's come a long way since cinder blocks and boards. It, it, it really has, and people... <laughs> Remember? Yeah, all the way, and, and that's what we that's how you started out. Your first apartment was that, and you were that. You were you were moving absolutely. And, and nowadays, it's nice to have it where you can have it in a nice setup and and to your to your best layout, so you can actually grab the record when you want to, not go kind of 
trying to figure out your own complicated layout. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned cover art. Uh, and when you ask people why vinyl, it's usually the second thing out of their mouth. It's like the sound is first, and then I have an album cover in my hands. So I wanted to ask you, in collecting, I've found that there are examples where somebody will pay because an album has a nice, because the cover is really intact, even though the record, not so much, you know, and vice versa. Sure. Uh, how does that play out with what you see coming well, into the store? Well, sometimes the people will buy an album just for the cover. We sold the Thelonious Monk album just because it was it was just a trippy cover. And the guy was like, I got to take a ch- shot on this. And then you get a lot more of albums that are the psychedelic albums from the 60s that the record didn't carry on as much as the art did. I mean, you see so many, uh, um, you know, coffee table catalogs that deal with just the art of the 60s record covers. Right. And these are all renowned artists that all live mostly in Santa Barbara. Uh, so uh, people treat it as, as uh, you know, something of historic value, like a Monet or Van Gogh, what this, what this had to have. And even though the, the record may not have been as great as they wanted to, it's the artist that carries on. So you, you get one or the other, and sometimes you get two. Yeah. A record and a great music. And does it increase the value of the album, though, in your resale? Oh, I think so. I think so. When you have an album like Love, and and it's beautiful artwork, and that is part of it, that this record is in the covers, is in this good condition. Not always, but when you have that, um, uh, Velvet Underground, Nico, um, that, that album, and specifically the first issue, um, yeah, it does. It, it does make an importance because sometimes they ch- change the cover a bit or the backs, back of the cover. And again, people love the touchy-feely aspect of the record because they want to read who's on the record, who they, they were. Even more of the generation now, they're more intuitive and they want to know as much information as they can. Yeah. And all of a sudden you realize that you look at all your record covers and they have the same saxophones on each one of these record players. You have a specific sound you're into and you yeah. didn't realize it. Yeah. Um, and as they set the standard for every other thing in the world, the Beatles are where we go. This is what motivated my question as far as the album covers were just as precious to us as the records. Oh, you bet. I think that, that the the Beatles were such a fashionable when it came to their, their album covers, their fashion and everything they did that it was just... Where, it was almost where are we going to next, boys? Yes. Where, 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 what journey are we going on? The whole world. Yeah. yeah. And, and they really was. And their albums were just, you know, even though I think that their management took, gave them heat, um, the White Album is, 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 is clever and it's in its majesty of just being the White Album, the embossed. Yeah. I just always think about my dad trying to find that album when I was a kid for Christmas, having to go in and ask for a White Album, you know? So, But even every one of those things all have become historical value of art that represents a certain time for the Beatles and for us growing up. I don't know if you've heard of this gentleman in New York. All he buys is White Albums. Uh, He has over 15,000 of them or something like that. Wow. All conditions, all shapes, all sizes, and he has a shop set up with only White Albums. How often do you see one come in? I, well, we just had one came in about two or three months ago. It took a while to, a while to do the legwork on it, but it was a, um, a 2014 White Album when the first one they came out in mono. Oh, and, right. And it opens up at the very top. It sounds great, but they didn't release the first ones in mono. So it's very rare that we get one that's really in great condition with the posters and all that. They do come in and you wonder where this, where this has this been the last 40 years. Um, but, you know, we do get them come in. And, um, and and they're always worth their salt, and especially if it's in Boston, if it's, a, if it's, a, if it's a, got the number on it. Yeah, right, so, right. But we do get that in, and everybody's looking for that album, but a lot of people want the the shininess of it, so they'll buy a brand new one, and they redid that album a couple years ago, too. So Okay, well, if you have one in, in lousy condition and somebody buys it, it's that guy. Yeah, that's it, that's <laughs> it, that's it. You have checked out my turntable. I have a Technics 1200 Mark Seven. Uh, what do you use in the store, and what is your personal preference as far we, as that know, goes? You know, I'm an audiophile guy. I, we have a Yamaha that was uh, we bought a couple years ago, and uh, we brought it into the store because it had so much better sound. Usually, we have an, uh, just a simple one, an Audio Technica, because we're also trying to. We don't sell the turntable. We try to get them on a, a decent path where they're buying a gift for their loved one, or they're just getting into it without break in the bank so we try to give something that tell them that this has good enough sound that it beats the stuff you might see at a bed and bath or um, uh, urban outfit or some of those offshore ones um, people uh, want to give their kids a gift and they don't know they're not giving the bestest 
there. But it's a good. These are good startups, but they're not really good for the quality of your uh, longevity of your records. So we get them into Audio Technica, which is a good startup one. It's a good little workhorse, and then you can expand on that, and then you can. And I think that that's just get their get their feet wet. And then, then let them pedal to where they want to go as far as what they want to invest in, whether it be a better receiver, better turntable, better speakers. And then they're on that journey themselves. Yeah. Uh, they don't, we don't have the, uh, the Pacific stereos that we had when we were a kid. Right. And you had three or four turntables to choose from, from the Chevy, the Cadillac to the Mercedes Benz and stuff. Or the, or the guy would say, this is what I can afford. Um, back, yeah. Back in the day, I saw a lot of guys coming back from the service going through Japan as their last port of entry and coming back with just fantastic stuff that you couldn't get here. Right. But back in those days, it was Yamaha, Marantz, Pioneer, and they were all good stuff. And, they, and if you can get a hold of your uncle, he wants to give you one still. Right. They still last. Yeah. It's a mixed blessing, isn't it? I mean, as audiophiles, you see people with a you know a two hundred dollar turntable, hundred fifty dollar turntable, but it goes hand in hand with how with the explosion and popularity of vinyl. Oh, it has allowed that many more people to at least get started, like you said. Yeah, it, it gets them gets them gets them going at least. And once they get and they understand the quality of the sound, because you got to remember, a lot of people have never heard a turntable. They've been they've been weaned on just the CDs or uh, the streaming type stuff. And so all of a sudden they hear it in its, in its, in its original state and they mm-hmm. go, oh my gosh, I, I kind of get it. And then we expand even further, getting him into mono or some of those things. Right. Go, oh my gosh. It, you have to lead him by the hand. I've found this with the Beatles. You really do. And, and, it's, and then they got to be, and you can see if they really are enhanced by the sound. Not everybody's an audiophile guy. And, but when they get enhanced by the sound, and then, then it's off to the races and down the rabbit hole. And, and a lot of it is what you can afford, and you can go crazy on it. But a lot of it is just getting a workhorse that you can travel while getting them started. And, and we find that the Audio Technica is a good one because it can work with your Bluetooth, which you don't have to expand to get any receiver. Or you can go old school, and we try to show them a way they can get into it. And then, you know, go further into it deeper with more money yeah yeah <laughs> we're gonna get to that eventually you and cecile have had the shop for how long now in carpentry it'll be almost six and a half years wow six and a half years. so i'm gonna put you on the spot just a little bit try to tell me what was the best day you ever had at the store like something came in you didn't expect or you saw uh, that you were going to be able to acquire something that was really going to help the store out and then I also want to know what the worst day you ever had at the store was. Well, the, the funnest day is, is when there's a lot of activity in the store. When there's movement around and people are having a good time and talking. Our, our store is kind of like a general store from, from Mayberry and yep. Griffith Show. Yep. Where, you know, we want you to do your own thing. We want you to have the privacy list to music. We do something to kind of accent what you're listening to or walking around. We don't want to bother you unless, you know... You want to be bothered. Uh-huh. But that's half the fun. Is that some of the people, some of the laughs you have, or someone turning you on to new music. That's the, the, I think it's the, the activity is the funnest part. And you're seeing people find a record or they're, they're excited talking about the conversation. That, that's the fun. And, and sales are also really nice, too, on those days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That goes hand in hand. But we want the, the experience to people to, to get the vibe and have the fun. And, and, and whether it's our record store or another record store, there's no, there's no wrong way to do a record store. Just come in and experience the, 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 the vibe that you used to experience when you were a kid or getting turned on to it and saying, hey, this is someplace for me to go to and, and hang out for a little bit and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. The, the worst days would be just when it's when, when, it's, when it's cold and, and wet and windy and you know no one's going to come in. But you stay there just in case someone might wander in and, and buy a Beatle record or something. Oh, well, you got lots of records to listen to while you yeah, wait that, the storm out. That, that's, the, the, that's the fun thing about it. I, I, I'm in my own domain, so I, I can't complain at all. Well, things appear to be humming along down there on Linden Avenue. Any plans for the future? Any changes at all? coming or just well, staying the course the, we, got the, we got the christmas stuff coming up so we do some decorations and we put all the we, we the christmas records are out 12 months of the year because you have people looking in the summertime for sinatra or whatever and they're you know they wait to find sinatra bing right around now they're going to be out of luck and uh but we get they do the the parade coming up and then they do a trolley that goes through so we have a lot of fun activities just having fun with that and playing music and the the, the holiday stuff all all day and then hopefully next year we're gonna work with Alcazar and hopefully sponsor some uh, um, musical um, film 
of that they've had, whether it be a hard day's night or some of the, the harder stuff to get some more musical events there that would tie into what we do. I've been talking to them too, as far as uh, new events and kind of a different kind of, uh, yeah. just trying some different things over there. Well, I mean, we, they do a great job anyway, but you're right. As far as the music goes, so much potential, especially with the new sound system in there. Well, the sound system and some of that stuff plays so well on the big screen, much better than oh, your, yeah. even, if you, even if you have a nice setup at your house, the big screen offers the, the viewer that much. And with the sound system too, it's just a win, win, win. It's just getting something that we can get all generations to come in and enjoy. All right. Well, whether you have a flip open uh, $150 sound design turntable uh, all the way up to audiophiles, state-of-the-art Blu-ray with, uh, with a $2,000 turntable, Kevin Germain, Murphy's Vinyl Shack over at 977 Linden Avenue. It's always our pleasure. Thanks for another great vinyl say. Thanks for the, uh, bringing me up to your new digs with the beautiful view. Uh, I, I don't want to go do this in my store anymore. <laughs> I want to come here. Let's talk. <laughs> Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Appreciate Kevin. it. All right. Something to Carp About is now available wherever you get your podcasts, including Stitcher, Podomatic, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're sponsored by Pacific Prairie Productions, specializing in radio syndication and podcast production. Call 805-500-3144. Talk to you next time. I'm Dennis Mitchell.